Beyond Belief on Claire FM. Now, I don't know if your television is anything like ours, but ours has been jam-packed full of wall-to-wall football for the last two weeks. Here in the UK, it seems as if the whole country has gone football mad as England climbed the rarefied atmosphere of the Euros. In the last week, they beat Germany for the first time in 55 years, and I remember well when they last achieved that. So, depending when you're listening, England may well have gone on to further victories or crashed and burned and be back home nursing their wounded pride. But I've noticed the dedication of the fans. It's almost like a religion. I thought I'd find out more about the link between faith and football. Well, as I was saying, the whole country here in the UK has gone absolutely football mad. And we've got crowds and crowds and people coming together and singing and uh, even dancing as football rules the roost at the moment as England advances in the Euros. But I was interested to try and get some sort of link between football and faith. And I'm very pleased that I've been joined on the phone now by a priest in the St Albans Diocese, the Reverend Peter Crumpler, who is not only a priest, he's also a lifelong Brentford Football Club supporter. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. How do you see this parallel between football and faith? Well, it's good, it's good to be with you and good to talk about this really uh, important subject that's so topical at the moment, isn't it? Mm. Well, I, I think the interesting thing is, is when you look back at some of the histories of some of the leading clubs, certainly in, in England, uh, and you see that many of them were actually founded either by churches or by local clergy people, local priests often, who were really into their sport. For example, Aston Villa, um, Burnley. Bolton Wanderers, um, Everton, uh, Liverpool, Fulham, Manchester City, Queen's Park Rangers, <laughs> Tottenham Hotspurs, all these teams were founded by either church groups or by local clergy um, as a way of bringing their local communities together uh, and often as, as a way of giving local young people, and, and in those days mostly men, something to do that was, that was purposeful and helped them build up their, their physical strength. Yeah. So, so right at the outset, football has had its roots in the churches in, in all sorts of many ways. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because that's also a model that has been applied in Ireland. And many of the GAA clubs have been founded and supported and encouraged by Catholic priests in their villages. And it's a very strong local thing, the GAA clubs. And it's really interesting because, you know, as you say, those clubs are very much locally rooted. And although some of the big clubs will have fans you know, right across the world who will, who will tune in via Sky and other television providers. But they're still also very much rooted in, in their localities. And you mentioned that I support a team called Brentford who play in West London, and we're very much rooted in that West London area. And yet I can see from our social media accounts that increasingly we are building up a fan base in places like the Far East, and one of the things that the club did just a few weeks ago was to, was to put out a message of support to the people of Myanmar. And of course, Myanmar is, is a country that is suffering after a military coup out there. And a lot of the people are feeling very downtrodden. And the response from the people of Myanmar to 
a football team in West London and what the club had put out was, was so positive and encouraging that you can see the real power of football uh, goes goes far beyond what happens on the pitch. Yeah, but do you see it then as losing its local identity in, in that way then? I think there's a risk of that, Steve. I do think that there's a real risk of that, particularly the larger a club becomes and the more it becomes dependent on revenue from television or big sponsors who, who may have international brands that go across countries. I think that's a risk. What I do see, and I see this in a lot of clubs, is that although they may have an international reach, if you like, and an international audience, they are very much involved in grassroots of community activities on their doorsteps. Mm. And, for example, in Brentford, in West London, the Community Trust does, does an awful lot supporting grassroots sport in all sorts of ways, running special education opportunities for a range of children and young people with additional needs, you know, and really serving their local community. So I, I hope that the model will be an international audience, but with a still local rootedness. Now, in a way, there, there's a parallel there, isn't it, in, in that we as churches are part of a worldwide communion of Christian believers. Yes. And yet every church is there rooted doing good things uh, in, in its local parish, yeah. its, its local area. And, and equally, we've been finding with our churches as we use Zoom and, and Facebook and YouTube that we're reaching a much wider audience than we could ever have imagined previously. That's exactly right. I, I think we are seeing how the local can become the national and the international much more quickly than any of us would have thought possible. But do you still see the influence of the church on the football clubs as it used to be? Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, a lot of clubs, and indeed Brentford has, do have a chaplain. And that chaplain will work across all the different faiths and indeed helping people who, who don't have a faith. Because a modern day football club is a very inclusive place with footballers from different parts of the world and staff from different parts of the world who have their own backgrounds and their own cultures and their own faith. So, so there are chaplains at work across the, across the clubs. But the, the thing that has struck me, I think, is the way many people almost express their spirituality through their football club and my own club Brentford has recently moved from one football stadium to a new modern purpose-built stadium just a few miles away but one of the issues is that in the old ground many people had had their ashes scattered on the pitch over many years you know dedicated football supporters of the club and the site of the old stadium although that's being developed for housing it will still have a place there, a memorial for those people whose ashes have been buried or scattered at the old ground. And that says something about the level of commitment that fans will have. And that it's also almost a spiritual thing. I've had football fans say to me that their football ground is their cathedral where they go to worship. And even in one case, at certain times in the game, if it gets very tense, they can feel the presence of their relatives, their fathers, perhaps, or their grandfathers, yeah. who, who've long since passed, but they can feel their presence while they're watching the game. Yeah, that's something I've seen, and, and it did amaze me. I've been fortunate to have been along to the Emirates Stadium a couple of times as a guest, and I was amazed to see a young man come in, pull out his scarf, and actually unfold it and as he unfolded it he kissed it 
and put it around his neck, exactly as you as a priest would do as you were putting your stole on. And I thought, what a religious significance that the boy would never have realised that he was doing there. You know, it was one of the sort of sacramental things that was important to him that, of course, has its basis in a priestly sacrament, isn't it? That is really interesting, Steve. I had not thought of that, and I hadn't uh, specifically heard of that, but I can imagine that Arsenal supporter has got such a devotion to the team. And I wonder if you or I were to speak to that young person, would they remember the first time they came to an Arsenal match? And it might have been their father or their grandfather or an uncle, a good friend, many, many years ago who'd, who'd brought them there. And it may be that that fan will be bringing their children there in years to come. Hmm. And, and you have this shared memory of the matches that you've been to and almost this sort of shared faith that you have in the team. And I have this thing that men, and it probably goes for women as well, I don't know, are more likely to change their husband or wife than they are to change the football team that they support. <laughs> I mean, I, I, have never, I have never worked in, in an office where somebody has come in to work on a Monday morning and said, well, you know, I used to support, I don't know, Arsenal. Well, I've decided to support Tottenham. I mean, it just doesn't happen. You, you stick with that team wow. through the thick and the thin, almost as, as a religion. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, you, you're certainly not changing Brentford as your team. Uh, I won't ask you about your wife, but uh, let, let's just... <laughs> Let's assume they're both uh, firmly in place, Peter. But, uh, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Because that gets away from the image that someone like me, who isn't a dedicated fan but will watch occasionally, that we have, and it's all big business, it's all big money, you know, everyone's getting ridiculous salaries and there's no heart, there's no sentiment to it. It's all about results and money. That's an interesting side of it, isn't it? That people, the real fans, really do, they're dedicated and they have faith in their club. Well, exactly right. And you are completely correct, Steve. There are two very different ways of looking at football. And one is as this big, you know, multi-million pound industry with players that are paid very well. And yet each of these players are ordinary people like you and I, so you can do the best with their gifts. And I think for me, and hopefully for many, many people like me, we see the football on the pitch as being something that's really important. But what's going on on the terraces in terms of the relationship that the fans have with the teams, in terms of the relationship the fans have with each other going back decades. And you could say it's like a religion, if you like, but I, I think I see something of real deep spirituality in the way that many people respond to their football team. And going to, in an age where not so many people go to church, there are many people who go to worship at a, at a, at a football ground very, yeah. very regularly. Yeah, and really we need to engage with them, don't we? What I'd also say is we can learn from some of those football clubs that, that encourage a good level of commitment That where you see fans who really know a lot about their club. You know, if only we all knew as much about our Bibles. The, <laughs> the way community is developed and the way diversity is encouraged. All of those things, I think, are things that the, the many of the football clubs are doing well that we in the churches could actually learn something yeah. from. Yeah, interesting, Peter. Well, thank you very much. That's a really interesting take on what is swamping the UK at the moment and also in Ireland. I know it's across Europe, isn't it? It's the Euros and everyone is watching, it seems. But that's a great point to just pause a moment, Peter, because I think you have a footballer's prayer. <laughs> I do. This is a footballer's prayer. 
uh, written by Paul Cookson, and it's it's slightly disrespectful. It's modelled on the Lord's Prayer, but I think you can take this as you will with some humour. A footballer's prayer. Our team, which art 11, hallowed be thy game. Our match be won, their score be none. On turf, as we score, at least seven. Give us today no daily red card, and forgive us our lost passes, as we forgive those who lose passes against us. Lead us not into retaliation, and deliver us from penalties. For three is the kickoff, the power and scorer, for ever and ever, full time. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, thank there you, thank you to Paul Cookson. I think that's good. Yes, as you say, a little sacrilegious, but I think the good Lord would be smiling at that. I think. I think so. I think so. It's, it's very clever, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, yeah. It, it, I'm sure that's the way footballers do pray sometimes. I'm sure. Anyway, Peter, thank you so much. That's the Reverend Peter Crumpler, a priest in the St Albans Diocese. is produced by the Beyond Belief team. Join us on Sunday at a quarter to eight for Sunday prayer and at 9pm for Beyond Belief. Beyond Belief.